Amen. And let us turn to our confessional reading for this evening, Lord's Day 33, page 238, in the forms and prayers. Let's uh, say the answers together for questions 88 to 91. I'll read the questions. Let's together say the answers. Question 88. What is involved in genuine repentance or conversion? Two things. The dying away of the old self and the rising to life of the new. What is the dying away of the old self? To be genuinely sorry for sin and more and more to hate and run away from it. What is the rising to life of the new self? Wholehearted joy in God through Christ and a love and delight to live according to the will of God by doing every kind of good work. But what are good works? Only those which are done out of true faith, conform to God's law, and are done for his glory, and not those based on our own opinion or human tradition. So far, our confessional reading the confessions we hold in common, let us turn now to the very Word of God, Joel chapter 2, page 600, or 967, page 967, Hosea, Joel, Amos, at the start of what is sometimes called the book of the Twelve, the Twelve Minor Prophets being uh, inscribed together onto a single scroll often uh, back when the scriptures were put onto scrolls. Joel is the second of that series of twelve. Hosea, Joel, Joel chapter 2. And we'll read and consider verses 12 to 17. Let us hear the word of God. Yet even now declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart, with fasting, with weeping, and with mourning, and rend your hearts and not your garments. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, and he relents over disaster. Who knows whether he will not turn and relent and leave a blessing behind him, a grain offering and a drink offering for the Lord your God. Blow the trumpet in Zion, consecrate a fast, call a solemn assembly, gather the people, consecrate the congregation, assemble the elders, gather the children, even nursing infants. 
Let the bridegroom leave his room and the bride her chamber. Between the vestibule and the altar, let the priests, the ministers of the Lord, weep and say, Spare your people, O Lord, and make not your heritage a reproach, a byword among the nations. Why should they say among the peoples, Where is their God? So far, the reading, the holy word of God, the grass withers, the flower fades, the word of our Lord endures forever. Dear congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, I considered the sermon title this evening. Uh, This is even more important than a honeymoon. And that is true. Repentance is more important than a honeymoon. And we'll talk about that when we get to our third point because that is the very illustration of the text. That is the illustration from the prophet Joel, even as they didn't use the word honeymoon back then. But even as that is part of the picture, part of the call, part of the word that comes to us in the text, the whole text is dominated by those words at the very beginning. Yet, even now. That is the call of repentance. Whatever our situation, whatever sins we have fallen into, whatever we are doing, yet, even now, the call, the gracious call to repent comes from God. And even as that word yet expresses the patience of God, that word now reminds us that we should not delay. Do this now. Repent now. Turn to the Lord. Return to the Lord. Continually return to the Lord. He is gracious and he receives those who seek him. In truth. And so, people of God, that's our theme tonight. Return your hearts to the Lord of abounding love. And if you're uh, taking notes, I do have a, a slight edit uh, for the second point. Uh, first, we'll look at the gracious call to repentance. And then, second, reworded the second point if you're looking in the outline in the bulletin. Point two is now the true ceremony of repentance, the true ceremony of repentance. And then third, the ultimate importance and joy of repentance. Well, people of God, let's begin with this gracious call. And thinking of this gracious call, we can think of the first context, which was uh, one of those especially rebellious generations in the people of Israel, one of those especially rebellious generations upon which God brought particular judgment. And for this generation, we don't know exactly which year Joel preached, but for this generation, that specific judgment was a plague of locusts. And that's described in really all of the book leading up to our text. And we read, uh, for example, in verse 3, that the arrival of this locust will turn the land from being like a garden to being like a desert. And there will be so many of these insects in this locust plague of judgment that the sun itself will be blacked out by 
the locust plague and by all those insects covering the air and coming through the land. And that's the, the blocking out of the sun is seen especially in verse 10 of chapter 2. And then that image, brothers and sisters, uh, reminds us of, of the straight line of application from Joel to us today. Because by especially that image of the sun being blacked out, what does that point us to? Well, it points us to the reality that this judgment for this one specially rebellious generation in the nation of Israel, it is just one of the many judgments of God which anticipates the final judgment day, the blacking out of the sun. How does Jesus describe the final judgment day? The moon will not give its light. Matthew chapter 24, and we're going to read at least one support text for each uh, point tonight. So if your uh, fingers are ready to turn, there's a few more texts than we usually turn to. Matthew chapter 24 is our support for point one. And again, the the judgment of the locust plague, it's, it's not just a judgment about the judgment of sin in one generation in the nation of Israel. It is one of the many judgments that leads up to, and each of them prefiguring in various ways, the final judgment when the moon will again be blacked out. And so in Matthew chapter 24, Jesus is speaking, and it is his answer to the question of his disciples about the end of the age back in chapter 24, verse 3. And we read in Matthew 24, verses 29 to 30, Immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light and the stars will fall from heaven and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Then will appear in heaven the sign of the Son of Man and then all the tribes of the earth will mourn and they will see the Son of Man coming on clouds of heaven with power and great Glory. See, the biggest difference between the judgment in the days of Joel and the judgment on the final day of judgment is that the people of Israel who survived could repent yet even now before or after the locust came. But on the final judgment day, that is it. It is the last word. It is the last time. And that is one of the reasons why we read the word now with reference to repentance as the biblical language for repentance again and again in the scriptures. Repent now. We do not know when the final judgment day is. And it will be a day of judgment even as it will not be a day of mourning For everyone, for some, it is the day of rejoicing. Matthew 24, verse 31. And he will send out his angels with a loud trumpet call, and they will gather his elects from the four winds, from one end of heaven to the other. That is because the call to repentance is a gracious call. 
God is the God of grace. There is that wonderful acronym in the English language for the word grace. God's riches at Christ's expense. The call to repentance is gracious because as we repent of our sins, there is salvation through God's Son, our Savior Jesus Christ. It is, it is in, in that way the most gracious word. Yet, even now, whatever has been done, whatever sins have led up to this judgment day in the days of Joel, and we're not given many details of their sins, whatever, whatever sins have been in your own lives or in the lives of, of anyone who you know, who you share the gospel with, yet, even now, repent. Yet, even now, and know the grace of God as this call comes. Verse 13, Return to the Lord your God, for He is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, and He relents over disaster. You know, brothers and sisters, we get the same themes of Scripture again and again. The essential message of the Word of God is united from Genesis to Revelation. There is one author, finally, of Scripture. It's a unified message. And so we see the same main theme and the same sub-theme repeated again and again with slightly different words, addressing sins in different generations and centuries, but it's the same basic message again and again. We do not, very often, see the exact words of a phrase repeated over and over and over. We see the same theme again and again, expressed in different ways, proclaimed to us in different voices, but if we take a phrase of seven words or more and we look to find an exact phrase like that repeated more than a handful of times, it doesn't happen very often. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. That's one of the exceptions. That's a phrase of words which is repeated exactly more than a handful of times in the scriptures. One of the other rare exceptions to this rule are the words in Joel in the middle of Joel 2.13. He is slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. Those words are repeated over and over and over and over again exactly in the word of God. God first gives those words to us by his prophet Moses in the book of Exodus. Then the psalmists repeat that exact phrase a few times, including Psalm 145, which we sang. And then four of God's prophets, including the prophet Joel, repeat that exact 
phrase. And again and again, it's in the context of the call to repent. Repent. And as you turn to the Lord, as you turn away from your sin and go to God, as you return to the Lord, and that is something for us all to do. What does the psalmist say in Psalm 119? He sings for 175 verses about his love for God and God's law and his love to serve the Lord. And then after all of that, what does he say in Psalm 119, verse 176? He says, I have gone astray like a lost sheep. You see, even if even if you have truly repented and given your heart to the Lord. We must continually be turning and returning to the God of grace. We must live a whole life of repentance. We must always be turning away from the sinful desires of our heart and bringing our eyes to our gracious God and Savior. And God forgives us. And God receives us. God is patient with us. God is abounding in His steadfast love. And that is one of those phrases which He has chosen to repeat exactly for us again and again and again. I am slow to anger and abounding and steadfast love. The call to repentance is a gracious call from our God and Savior. And in your life, know the importance of gathering together with God's people as we Hear and heed the gracious call of repentance. This is our second point, the true ceremony of repentance. It is appropriate, people of God, to read Joel chapter 2 in an intensely personal way. But it is true that it is first given in this context of national sin, coming national judgment, even as, again, the whole world will be judged and we all stand as those who will be there at the final judgment day, whether it comes before our death or after. We do not know the hour. And so it's it's true that we can read it in an intensely personal way, but it is it is very much concerned with with the whole nation, the whole people of God. The nation is, the nation of Israel is God's Old Testament church. And so they're called to a special worship assembly during this time of of sin and rebellion. Verse 15, Below the trumpet in Zion, consecrate a fast, call an assembly. Now, having just read the three verses which come before that, we might ask, wait, why, why, why do we have to call an assembly? Did not God just tell us that what matters is our heart? Didn't God, through his prophet, just tell us a handful of lines earlier, rend your hearts, the beginning of verse 13, and not your garments? 
So how do we put these two things together? Why does the Lord say, I care about your heart, rend your heart, and not your garments, and then, almost in the next breath, say, blow the trumpet and and come before me in this gathered external religious ceremony? What is it that you want, Lord God? Do you want just my heart, or do you want the external ceremony? And the answer, uh, brothers and sisters, is that the Lord wants ceremony. He wants true ceremony. He wants our hearts, and He wants us gathered together as His people. God does not want mere ceremony. God does not want human tradition. But God does want us to carry out what He has called us to, and to do so together. And so this pattern of worship me with your heart, verse 13, worship me with sacrifices and drink offerings, verse 14, and worship me together in the assembly of God's people, verse 15, that's a pattern that we see a number of times in Scripture. Uh, Psalm 51, uh, which will be... uh, which we'll go to and sing together as our song of application. We see that same basic pattern. David says, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. And then a handful of verses later speaks about, uh, For you will not delight in sacrifice, or I would give it. You would not be pleased with a burnt offering. That's Psalm 51, verse 16. Verse 17, The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. O God, you will not despise. And then, just as in Joel, after speaking about the importance of the heart, then we do have reference to right sacrifices and right ceremonies. Psalm 51, verses 18 and 19. Do good to Zion in your good pleasure. Build up the walls of Jerusalem, which is Old Testament language for what? Build up your church. Build up your people. Gather together in your name. And then you will delight in right sacrifices. Psalm 51, verse 19. In burnt offerings, with whole burnt offerings, then bowls will be offered in your altar. Or to use the New Testament language, Lord God, create a clean heart within us. You do not delight in mere ceremony, in mere external worship. Bring us before you with a broken spirit and a contrite heart. And then we will praise you with right ceremonies. And we only have two uh, sacramental ceremonies now. But we will come before you and we will rejoice in these things rightly. And so again and again, the pattern in Scripture is, yes, it cannot just be the external. God, we must bring our hearts to God. We must in the language of Lord's Day 33, have a dying away of the old self and a rising to life of the new. But then we don't say, all right, Lord, I've given you my heart and now it's just me, myself, and and you, and and maybe the Bible, and and that's it. No, the, the pattern is, Lord, I've given you my heart and now bring me together with your people. Build up the walls of Jerusalem and let us call the fast together. Let us call the church service together. Let us worship you together. This is the pattern of the word of God. 
And so we can even read a language of repentance, which comes to us in in plural language. James chapter 4, verses 8 to 10, where the you and the yourself is is in, in each instance in these three verses, it's always you plural or, or you, yourselves in the plural. And we read here in the New Testament in James chapter 4, verses 8 to 10, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. So then, brothers and sisters, and people of God gathered together in his assembly this night, you do have to look at your own heart. The place where it is only you and God. Where no one else knows what is going on. And you have to say, Lord, create a clean heart within me. And if you have not ever broken your heart before God, break it now. Because our hearts do not save us. The gracious call comes. And as we repent, Jesus Christ saves us. And then having brought your heart, having broken your heart before the Lord God, in that intensely personal matter which can only be between you and God, then gather together with God's people. Gather together to worship Him with right ceremonies. Gather together to hear His word to us. Let's come to our third point the ultimate importance and joy of repentance. How much, how important is this subject of repentance that we have been speaking of? Well, in this kind of assembly, in this assembly for the repentance of sin, everyone needs to come. This is not something that anyone can excuse themselves from. And so uh, young and old, they are all to come. The word elders in the Old Testament sometimes refers to special leaders and sometimes it refers to the elderly members of the community. It's just like the English word elders. Here it's being used to refer to the, to the oldest members. Assemble the elderly, the ones for whom it may be difficult to come and include even the nursing infants, the one for whom it's not always easy to bring them to the gathered assembly. But this, this when we are speaking about the matters of repentance, this is a time to gather every single person together. And even if someone is on their honeymoon, they are included now too. Get the bride and get the bridegroom. There is nothing that should stand before the matter of repentance. And here in Joel 2, it is a literal call again at this this 
this time of a incoming judgment and uh, it's yes we can say this is not a everyday situation but brothers and sisters as a as an illustration as a picture as a word for us to hear about the importance of repentance we can use 21st century terminology the Jews to my knowledge never used the word honeymoon or the Hebrew equivalent of it and we can say do you know this is more important than a honeymoon I mean right what's at the top of the list of reasons why not to call a friend right let's say let's say somebody is 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 moving and they need to move some boxes and you're going through well let's uh, I'm going to call a few friends to come over and and help me out and maybe we'll get a box of pizza afterwards well what's at the what's at the top of the list for reasons why not to call somebody oh yeah uh uh my my friends um you know um whatever they they just they were just married a couple of days ago we're not calling them we're not calling them Joel in the context of repentance says no everybody needs to think about repentance there is nothing that comes before repentance. Yet, even now, remember those locusts that block out the sun and the moon, they're just one of the judgments that prefigures the final judgment day. And people will be in all kinds of different life situations when the final judgment day comes as a thief in the night. We do not know the hour. It might be in a thousand years yet. The church has faced intense times before. It might be this hour. Now, repent. Do not put anything else in front of this. No other pursuit. No other event. Nothing stands in front of this. And now, brothers and sisters, I will ask you to turn with me to Psalm 45. Because we have been, with Joel 2 as our text, we have been more focused on, on repentance. And so in that way, we've been more focused on the first part of question and answer 88. We've been more focused on question and answer 89. And we've made just a little bit of reference to human tradition at the end of question and answer 91. But what about question and answer 90? What about the rising to life of the new? What about wholehearted joy in God through Christ? Because after the breaking of the heart in genuine repentance, and as we continually, because we're always straying on this earth, as we continually return and look and look and look to our only God and Savior, 
There is joy in the Christian life. There is joy in serving God. And the picture of a marriage is also used to speak about this. And so in Psalm 45, we're going to read verse 10 and 11 of Psalm 45, and then verses 14 and 15 of Psalm 45. Psalm 45, beginning at verse 10. Hear, O daughter, and consider, and incline your ear. Forget your people and your father's house, and the king will desire your beauty, since he is your Lord. Bow to him. And then verses 14 and 15. In many colored robes she is led to the king, with her virgin companions following behind her, with joy and gladness they are led along as they enter the palace of the king. What is, what is going on here in Psalm 45? Well, there's a number of things going on here in Psalm 45, but we're going to focus on one thing. It is a picture of entering into service for God. And what is the picture? It is the picture of a bride prepared to marry the perfectly loving husband and to do so as a princess who is marrying the king and coming into his beautiful palace and to inherit all that is his as his bridegroom. And that is the picture the psalmist gives us of the joy of the Christian life. Indeed, Ephesians 5. Jesus is the perfect husband who has laid down his life for his bride, the church, and he gives us every blessing. Repent. Turn away from all the cares, concerns, everything that would Claim the attention of your heart on this earth and enjoy. Serve the Lord. Serve the Lord of grace and majesty, of love and mercy. He does forgive and He calls us to dwell with Him forevermore. Amen. Let us pray. Lord, our Lord, we give thanks for the many and various ways you have spoken to us so plainly. We give thanks also for exactly repeated phrases reminding us of